Morgan is overjoyed that he's able to stop this group without any harm to civilians. Um, and he probably feels a little bad, but, you know, it, he doesn't lose any sleep over having to break some arms and some faces. And his style is probably a mixture of... It's probably a mixture of, you know, based on boxing, but a, a smattering of judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu and karate and taekwondo and pretty much any classes that he could squeeze in or anything that he could learn. And it might look impressive to the untrained eye, but I'm sure if he ever went up against a master or someone who knew what they were doing, they'd, they'd see what a mess he was stylistically, um, his openings and everything. And against, you know, Mehumes and, uh, Mooks, he's, he's fine, but, uh, he's, you know, he's never been tested against someone that really, really knows what they're doing. Um, you know, besides people having powers or, or anything. Um, but anyway, uh, when, when the guy that comes up to him, uh, Brian, he, he doesn't brush him off, but, you know, he, he says, uh, I'm sorry, but this might be happening somewhere else in the city. So all you need to know, or he says, all you need to remember is the name Cerulean Sentinel and, you know, bounds off and, uh, you know, scampers up the side of a side of a building or down an alley and then up up the fire escape or something to that effect. And when he wakes up in the morning, he is he's slightly probably more than slightly bothered that Roland has figured out who he is or at least where he is staying. Um but, you know, Roland hasn't shown himself to um, be a shady character or anything. So, you know, as per his code, he's going to trust him until he's he's proven otherwise. Like he hasn't shown any reason why he should distrust Roland. You know, he helped him uh, to figure out what was all going on with this sailor, ghost sailor deal. Um so maybe he's a potential ally and he's super thankful for the the donut and coffee uh what you were saying about the uh, the, the long-term records on him or, or videos and things like that um i think initially when he started the suit hadn't worked in the periphery like that but now that he's been wearing it for so long yeah, like videos and files and uh, pictures of him are starting to just be misplaced or, or gone. You know, maybe eventually years from now, like his social security number just disappears, you know, from the records. Um, and the suit at this point is pretty much an extension. He, he can't get rid of it, even if he he wanted to, which he is completely unaware of, of course. 
it's much like the march of history. Like if he took it off and um, tried to leave it somewhere or throw it away, like he would find it in the next couple of days. It'd just be like right in front of him. The, the, the effects of the fate would still probably be in effect, even if he wasn't wearing it at this point. Um, and that kind of, that brings up a question that uh, I'd been pondering on. Um, did the guy that looked like he was remembering him did he uh blip on the the like the fate um fate vision you know i'll come up with a better name later that's part of the suit where he can see people that are uh kind of marked by the the march of history or are fated in in some way that however you want the this that system to work um, and as for his, um, like political news outlet, he's never had the, uh, how I want to put it, he's never had the convenience or the privilege to really be concerned about politics in any way. You know, he's, he's, his life has been mostly one of survival, you know, making sure he has food or a place to sleep or something along those lines so he's never really bothered with it before but i think he would um after this past week and this particular incident he would definitely start paying attention to uh the strong men and the technocrats and it'd probably be a mixture of keeping his ear open on the street and um whichever local newspaper he'd like run across on the day like if someone left it on a bench instead of just walking past it he'd, he'd pick up whichever um newspaper he wouldn't really you know care which one it was and he'd probably read it um also he um takes one of his his martial art notes books that has some some spare pages in it and goes to the library and starts uh, fugling political terms that he's just completely unfamiliar with because he's never cared to pay attention, like uh, bipartisan and, um, you know, g general terminology that people throw around that he's just completely unfamiliar with. So he's going to try to raise his IQ in that way. So he has a better idea of what's going on with these particular parties and he'll on his surveys of of the sink he'll swing back by that technocrat headquarters and he'll probably figure out where the strong men if they have a, a foothold in the sink if they have like an office or something uh or if he knew any of those members like if he could uh remember them from around the neighborhood he'd probably keep an eye out oh Something uh, he would definitely do after this past week and especially this uh, experience, he would go at a distance, go check on his old friends, like some of the people that he used to live with or crash with, uh, especially his friend Bianca. Um, he would go check on her first. And like I said, he he wouldn't actually like knock on their door or anything, but he definitely would, you know, check in their windows or where they were working because, you know, he wants to make sure that his friends are okay, but he doesn't want to actively involve them. So he definitely 
keeps his distance as far he far as he possibly can. But yeah, like I said, he's he's concerned first and foremost about his his friend Bianca. So Morgan begins the day at the library with his scavenged blank paper, writing down terms like plenary session, which I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a thing. And looks up what the specific definition of a majority is in voting. He finds out about the Stringersburg electoral practices, that they always have elections on July 5th, and it's a citywide holiday. Uh, And he finds out that that's different from other municipalities in the state, and all the states have different things. He's starting to remember high school civics. federalism and all of that stuff but um, after that he starts to take a walk around the old neighborhood the library in the sink is literally on stilts they're actually very strong uh, pillars or whatever but the library has some wealthy friends who have who grew up in the sink and then moved out to nicer parts of town but have enough money to start you know a fun drive and come back and get the library elevated for the I mean this is all stuff that happened a long time ago so the library has been this way for decades um but it's sort of central in the sink. And so from there, Sentinel can sort of move out in a spiral pattern, widening out until he's covered most of the neighborhood. So I'm assuming that many of Morgan's old friends still live in the sink and are working there relatively boring, mundane jobs. He has a couple of friends who work in construction now. There's one who is a bank clerk. Several of them work in just retail stores, which are on the outskirts of the neighborhood. And one is a bartender at like a corner pub. So they seem to be doing relatively well in their personal lives. Morgan doesn't pick up any sense that any of them is in bad health or having problems with the criminal element in the neighborhood or um, having, you know, personal relationship difficulties. But he can tell that they're all on edge about the recent election. They, too, seem to be developing a sudden interest in politics. Wherever he goes, he's picking up little vibrations of that. For instance, one of his friends is working in a mass market shoe store and um, he's on the he's he's doing receiving for that so he's in like the back in the in the loading bay and has the radio on 
and it's tuned to a station, to a local station that's just all about electoral politics right now. This station is WSBG, also known as The Berg. Um, it's wholly locally owned and operated. They don't even syndicate NPR. They've got their own news team. And their news coverage is sort of a... It's sort of like the default state of the station's programming. Occasionally, when they run out of things to talk about, they break it up with some music. And the music is uh, a lot of local bands as well. This one friend has the Berg on while he's loading shoes. And Morgan hears a voice that he recognizes. And it turns out that Brian Gillens is doing an interview uh, with the local host, local news radio celebrity, John Jackson, also known as Johnny Jack. And John Jackson is a sort of traditional American man kind of guy. Morgan's never really listened to him before. His voice has just sort of always been in the background of Stringersburg life. He also does other appearances. He'll show up at public events or whatever. He calls himself the voice of Stringersburg. Uh, but that's a rather strong exaggeration. Um, he is just sort of present a lot. So people have heard him talk. Like, oh yeah, Johnny Jack. Uh, but Morgan had never really listened to him until now. Uh, Brian is listening to him and is pushing back in the interview. John Jackson says to him at some point, but Mr. Gillens, the rumor that these young men were uh, in some way affiliated with the uh, Strong American End Party has not actually been substantiated in any way. Isn't that true? And Gillens comes back at him and he's like, actually, John, it didn't need to be substantiated. It was all over their faces. It was all over the way they behaved. It was all over the things that they said. One of them used a homophobic word I don't need to repeat. And it was not long after that, that this hero, this sentinel, made him, well, I'm not going to be crude, but that's when the fight broke out. And uh, personally, I took that as an excellent sign that this is a hero who won't tolerate prejudice in any way. Even if that prejudice is supposedly coming from a place that is uh, politically acceptable with some people. And the interview gets snippy after that. Um, Brian seems to think that Johnny Jack is a strongman supporter. And Johnny Jack doesn't really do anything to uh, disabuse him of that notion. He sounds sympathetic to them. He tries to sort of like make space for them to be macho dickheads without actually admitting that they're macho dickheads. So there's that. But um, Brian does mention Sentinel's name, his hero name. 
So after being distracted a bit by that radio interview, Sentinel moves on. He's able to check on most of his friends fairly quickly. A couple of them work together. Um, but he has a harder time than usual tracking down Bianca. He finds out this is because she has changed her habits. She's enrolled in a summer class at Stringersburg Community College. He eventually locates her there, taking a trip out of the sink to find her, and notes that she's taking a course in comparative mythology with a guy called Professor Ted Klein. Now, you and I know who Klein is. He's on the sheet, but Klein appears to just be a regular dude. Nobody knows he's a meta. Um, in fact, he wouldn't even admit that he's a meta, although he has to suspect it. But Bianca is uh, in this class. He can tell that she's very interested. He can tell that she is quite interested in it. She's not just taking it to get the credits. Like, he can peek through a window and see her, you know, watching the professor very carefully. He can see her writing extensive notes. When the class breaks into a discussion group, she's sort of one of the most animated members of her group, yada, yada, yada. So she is very uh, interested in this. And you can overhear, Morgan can overhear a bit of the material, the lecture material, and the approach to the mythology angle seems to be very contemporary. It's about, you know, you, you hear the phrase living legends a lot. So Klein is using this class as a way to talk about metahumans and metahuman issues. So the fact that Bianca is taking it tells Morgan that she is experiencing some sort of renewed interest in it. This is especially interesting because something about the way that she looks is different. Um, I'm not 100% confident that the following take on the fate vision... <laughs> I have literally fate-o-vision written down in my notes. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that this take on it is faithful to your idea steer me back if I'm going off course here, but she seems to, in his vision, she seems almost to exert um, heat. She is sort of throwing off ripples a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that as a way to visualize the effect of people having a, a role within destiny that um, sets them outside of the purview of the march of history. So she's a figure of increasing possibility. She is becoming less and less bound to whatever vision of destiny that the march of history or the creator of the march of history had. She's becoming more important and less predictable in terms of fate. Now, on that note, you asked me about the one thug that was staring on him, if that guy appeared. 
um, if he showed up in the Fado vision. If he did, it was so subtle and so small that it doesn't count. He, like, maybe he did for a second. He, like, rippled in it for a moment and then disappeared again. I was basically just saying that because um, I wanted to leave leave myself room later on for the strongman to have a description of Sentinel. Just like rather than him remembering the suit as like red and having horns, he remembers us, you know, it as being blue and having a scarf. So like the strongmen have a general description of Sentinel. What's the point of that? Now, later that day, when he returns to the sink from Stringersburg Community College, he goes about trying to put together any faces, behaviors, um, clues of dress or mannerism that he has to identify any of the guys that he beat up last night. But it's really tough going. He doesn't really... He didn't really recognize any of them, so he's just sort of walking around trying to see if he sees them in the neighborhood or anything like that. There was one of them that did seem somewhat familiar, and he pieces together eventually that this is because this guy at one point tried to join the Flaming Hellbow. Uh, He was a member for a little while, but only provisionally, and they didn't end up letting him stay in because he was a fascist. But his failure to locate any of the others is actually a kind of success. Uh, It tells him that they are not from the neighborhood, that they came down to the sink to stir up trouble. Now, he hears plenty of, like, you know, hetero, patriarchal, macho, dick meat, bullshit, incel sentiment in the sink, you know. Dudes are being dudes. They're saying foolish things about women and claiming stuff about themselves that isn't true. And a lot of them try to sanctify the crap that they're saying by claiming that it's traditional or it's just the natural order of things or whatever. But... He doesn't find any particular building that's like a strong American men party. Um, He does see some weird graffiti in a couple of places, and it takes him a minute to figure out what exactly he's looking at. But it seems to be a stylized image of a man's arm flexed in the sort of cobra position, you know, which way's the gun store? That way, to show a bicep. So someone has tagged a couple of buildings with this bicep. One of them is near where the incident took place last night. So, um... You know, after he's remembered that this one guy whose face he he noted used to be in Flaming Hellbow for a second, and he's realized that all the others were outsiders, like had no connection to the sink, he spots this graffiti and he's um, he's checking out the one near uh, where the fight broke out and uh, decides to go over to the uh, technocrat 
office building. Since he's close by, he, you know, he's just sort of glancing over there to check it out. Um, he sees that same security guard, though, and the guard actually waves him over or, or approaches him. Um, he comes up to the, to the periphery of the property, gets his attention one way or another. Now, I'm assuming Sentinel wouldn't flee from this conversation because this is uh, us that would sort of invalidate this whole scene here. But um, if that's something that he wouldn't do, we can backtrack on this. We can retcon it. But I'm assuming Sentinel would, like, go over, if nothing else, because the guy's waving his arms like, Ugh. like, oh, maybe something's wrong. But he uh, he goes over there, and the guard, the guard is, when he... When Sentinel starts to get closer, he can see the guard squinting, and then he kind of half smiles, and he's like, I thought that was you. He's like, how do you do it? And I'm assuming Sentinel is like, do what? He's like, the blur. Uh, I've seen... He's like, sorry. I'm... And he gives his name, which isn't really important. He's like, uh, he's like, before I took this gig, I was in the military, and I've seen some experimental blur suits in the works. He's like, not to brag, but I was special forces, um, so I've I've seen some stuff a lot of guys wouldn't have. And what you've got going on there, really impressive. How is it done? I mean, fine. I, I, I know you're not going to tell me, but there's somebody inside that wants to talk to you. They want to know all kinds of things. They probably want to know that, but mostly they just want to ask you some questions. My boss. So I'm assuming he wouldn't object to going inside and talking to somebody. The security guard's boss turns out to be a young woman in her late 20s. She seems to be deliberately cultivating a kind of, you know, uh, nerd girl slash woman in tech um, aesthetic. She's got sort of glasses with the, like, rounded frames and, and the, and the kind of, like, wingtippy kind of things, so, like cat-eye glasses or whatever you call those. Got sort of a Betty Page haircut and a, a nice suit. She introduces herself as Madeline Faulkner. Actually, she introduces herself as Maddie, <clears throat> but the nameplate on her office says Madeline Faulkner. And um, she walks you, she walks Sentinel in past the couple of office uh, workstations in the front of the building, which are just actually general purpose. You can see from a quick glance, they don't seem to be dedicated to any organization or anything. Once you're inside, the, those two are sort of in front of a little divider. Um, you go in the first door, and the cubicle farm inside is very clearly labeled. So there's a cluster of three workstations that are labeled um, Inprev, 
whatever that is. And there are four more over there that are um, geofunk and um, one more that's um, just labeled Tunk, T-U-N-C. It's actually T-U-N-C, Inc., Tunk, Inc., Um, whatever T-U-N-C stands for. And at the back of the building, there's a staircase. She takes you upstairs. Here is where the technological progress party has its uh, political operation going. You see a lot of gear of hard-to-determine functions. Madeline Faulkner's office is on the second floor, and uh, she shows Sentinel in. She doesn't shut the door behind them, and she's... uh, she like makes a show of, of doing so and she's like, we have a culture of openness here, so I'm just not going to shut the door. I hope that's all right. She's like, listen, I'm sure you have a lot going on, so I'll be brief here. Uh, we really appreciate what you did, obviously, not just for us, but for the neighborhood. And we think that uh, we'd love to know more about you. I heard... I heard Brian Gillen's talking about you on the radio and, you know, I follow him on um, Zitter. So I've been keeping up with his his updates about, um, you know, I, I followed the whole thing practically in real time. I wasn't here, but I, I was sort of here in that way. <laughs> so, look, um, we think you're great and we want to know more. We are actually kind of hoping that there were heroes out there who would come on board with the party's vision and help us do what we think really needs to be done in Stringersburg, which is just bring the place into the 21st century. So much of what we've got in terms of infrastructure is so old, it's falling apart. I mean, especially in the sink, you know, it's just terrible. So... I don't want to try and force your hand here. Um, I want to respect your desire for privacy, but um, I'm also curious how it is that we can't find you. Uh, You're not in the MHTF database, and, um, well, there are cameras all throughout this building, and I can watch what they see on my phone, and they can't really see you. Um, they just, like, look away from you, or you're just a blur, which, frankly, is, um, something we've been trying to do for a long time, and uh, by we, I mean people that I know through the party, local business people. Um, Mr. Greenwell has been working on a project along these lines, and it's just nowhere near so successful, so we'd love to know how you do it, if you would like to share some of that with us and um to be quite honest we'd we'd like to offer you a job i don't know if that's the kind of thing that you go in for and i i hope i'm not giving you any offense here but um we'd really like you to be we'd really like to be on the same team so i'll leave it there and await your response